0: there's one thing we know about the job market during the COVID pandemic is that it's hard to really know anything about the job market. Uh, For the past year and a half, this has been perhaps the weirdest economy in US history. For example, the unemployment rate is actually relatively low, falling from 5.4% to 5.2% in August. And yet, jobless claims are still relatively high. The leisure and hospitality industry is particularly difficult to get a handle on. Uh, From February through July, the industry added 2.1 million jobs. That's half of all US jobs added over the period, and yet, The Bureau of Labor and Statistics says leisure and hospitality employment is still 10% below where it was in February 2020, and far higher than the background unemployment rate. And yet, even with this relatively high level of unemployment in the industry, restaurant owners are loudly complaining about a so-called labor shortage as they struggle to staff up in this, I don't know what you want to call it, the pre-post-pandemic economy? And so to get a more hands-on perspective about what's really happening in the restaurant industry, I look forward to talking with Mark Bucher, a veteran Washington, D.C. area restaurateur.
1: My name is Mark Buecher, and I am the co-founder of Medium Rare Restaurants and the founder of Feed the Fridge.
0: Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Mark. Uh, we talk a lot about the restaurant industry, uh, but of course, uh, none of us are actually in it. And you as a restaurateur has a, have a lot of real world experience. Um, we've been hearing a lot about a labor shortage out there in the restaurant and hospitality industry. I, is there a labor shortage?
1: There is uh, not a labor shortage. There is a wage shortage for sure, uh, but there are plenty of people looking to, for work and ready to work.
0: So you're telling me that it's, uh, that, that it's like supply and demand. If you actually pay the workers more, they'll come to
1: work. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's economics 101, but no, I mean, we, we are fully staffed. As a matter of fact, we're overstaffed. We have people walking in our doors every day, applying for, applying for jobs. But I, I do think where we sit today in answering that question is very different as you asked me 180 days ago. But I, I do believe that the restaurant industry uh, is having a labor awakening right now. And that was, this, this could very well be one of the best thing for restaurant workers ever that's come out of COVID.
0: So let's talk about that. Well, what's the difference now Uh, both for restaurants and for restaurant workers, uh, as opposed to what it was like before the pandemic?
1: Well, before the pandemic, you know, for hundreds of years, the restaurant hospitality business was made up of really two types of workers, those who need the job and those who want the job. Those who need the job are the out-of-work actors that are trying to make ends meet, or the immigrants new to the country that just work hard but don't have a whole lot of skills, so they wash dishes or they learn how to cook on a cook line. That's contrasting to those who go to restaurant hospitality school at at a university and want to be in the hospitality business. That was life before COVID. Life during COVID caused everyone to rethink what they're doing. For example, the career-minded folks that came out of restaurant hospitality programs at say Cornell really started rethinking whether they wanted to still be in the restaurant hospitality business. Because you became a frontline worker. It was dangerous going to work. You didn't have to go to work during COVID because the unemployment benefits were incredible. So if you really didn't love the business or you didn't have a passion for what you were doing, and you were eligible to collect unemployment benefits, it certainly was easier and safer to do that. If you weren't eligible to receive unemployment benefits, you had a choice. You either went to work if your restaurant or your hotel was still having you, or you found other work, or you went hungry. That's really what happened. Now coming out of COVID, those who worked in the business that might've been career-minded, or even hourly workers that were working for $15 an hour, Decided, I don't want to be a frontline worker anymore. There's a huge boom on online purchasing and online activity, and Amazon and Uber and everyone's hiring all these gig workers to meet this new demand of these for this new distribution channel. And you get to set your own hours. You get to go work there. You make better benefits. It's safer. You get tuition reimbursement. You get better health insurance. You get vision. You get paid time off. It ain't bad. And you don't need the skills because they will train you. That in itself became the seismic event of the American service industry, notably restaurants.
0: And and so the workers who who were formerly working in a, you know, in a hot kitchen for minimum wage and few benefits and you know an uncertain schedule because uh, they needed the work, uh, they now have other opportunities.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you had a choice of working in a in a room that's 120 degrees we can get burned, you can slip where there's sharp knives being used to move things or hot tongs or hot plates or hot dishes or hot pots and pans. And if you had a choice to go work in an air-conditioned warehouse or drive in an air-conditioned car and go deliver things or bring things or, or coordinate or move things around for a third more wages and you set your own hours, pretty easy choice, I think. Uh,
0: let's talk a little bit about about your own experience. Uh, you, you own how many restaurants?
1: We have three restaurants in the DC metro area and we have one outpost, so to speak, at Nats Park in DC.
0: And and so between those four locations, uh, how, how many people are you hiring?
1: We employ about 220 people on any given day.
0: You're in multiple jurisdictions then, so there are, are multiple minimum wages uh, for your various restaurants, are you paying minimum wage or are you're paying a, above it?
1: You know, that's good for you. That's the question nobody asks. And that's the heart of the problem. Um, so th- thanks for asking that. i'm I'm really glad you did. So if you live in Virginia and you want and you work in Virginia and you are a and you are a minimum wage employee, let's say you you just come, let's just use the restaurant as an example. You come and you want a dishwashing job in a restaurant. You have no experience most people in the industry will say, fine, that's that's a minimum wage job. The minimum wage in Virginia is $7.49 an hour. The minimum wage in Washington, D.C. is $15 an hour. Washington, D.C. is two minutes from Arlington, Virginia, as an example. So if you're working in Arlington, Virginia, and you're a minimum wage employee, why wouldn't you just commute another two minutes by public transportation and go make more than double the wage so what we did as an organization from day one is our business you know hog, pigs get fed hogs get slaughtered is the uh, ultimate saying but our business model has been built and has proved results over the last 12 years paying a dc minimum wage me and my business partners made a decision when we opened up our virginia store that nobody is going to work with us if they don't earn a living wage we are not going to put somebody through that so we pay everybody we we don't actually we don't pay anybody minimum wage but our our pay scales start in a sense what we pay off of our our watermark is the dc minimum wage not the virginia minimum wage and as a result we we've never had a problem hiring in that restaurant
0: so in your dc restaurant what's a uh, what's a dishwasher making
1: so it's interesting if we were to put two restaurant tours next to each other me let's say me and you okay and you're starting out and we're both hiring we're both interviewing for dishwashers dishwasher comes up to you and i and says i've never done it before but i'll work really hard twelve dollars an hour or or let's let's say dc fifteen dollars an hour second dishwasher comes up says i got some experience i'm eighteen dollars an hour who are you hiring
0: well this is a trick question uh, not really. No, <laughs> who really, am I that. hiring or who do I think the typical restaurateur is going to okay. hire? I Who do you, think, know,
1: who do you I, think 99.9% of the other restaurateurs are going to hire?
0: Yeah, they want to pay as little as they can. So they'll hire the, the lower wage worker.
1: Right. I, I've always taken it differently. I not only hire the higher wage person, but I pay them more. So instead of $18 an hour, I pay them 20. And you know why? Because that person, is never missing a shift
0: Uh uh-huh
1: that person is running the cleanest safest safest dish area in any restaurant that person is breaking less less glasses get broken less dishes get broken and less silverware goes in the trash can because they know they're working for me they want to take care of me and my partners as we're taking care of them and i go to bed at night i don't worry about a dishwasher no calling no showing on a saturday night it all takes is one saturday night For one dishwasher that you underpaid to no call, no show, and you can't seat a third of your dining room because you don't have clean dishes, and then you're thinking, God, that was stupid. I should have paid $2 more an hour. I would have still been ahead. We just think very long when it comes to labor. And as a result, and we always have, as a result of our three locations in the DC area, all of our kitchen managers started out washing dishes for us 12 years ago. Our general managers started out as servers with us between 10 and 12 years ago. Everyone stays with us and they grow with us because we provide a path to grow and a path to learn for those who want to. Now, not everyone wants to. We've had, we've had some dishwashers come and go because they wanted just a gig job to get in and out. That's fine. We've had some, some bussers and runners that have come in for a gig job, some servers, certainly. College students come in, they graduate, they leave. But they also know if they come into us and they want a career in the restaurant business, we will train them. And I think that's really important. We have to take care of our employees. They take care of us. I think the restaurant business missed that. They treated employees just like X's and O's on a sheet of paper. And that's what's hopefully is changing.
0: That, that's remarkable, the, the tenure record that you have there, because this is an industry that's just known for uh, high turnover, for churn and burn. Churn and burn.
1: It, it, yeah. Some people, you know, I, I know of some restaurateurs that are have some of the busiest restaurants around, and they hire a, ma- a general manager, they pay them X amount of dollars. And they promise them why bonuses. And when it comes time for, to pay the bonuses out, they fire the managers and they get new managers. They never have to pay the bonus out. That's just part of their business model. Um, it's terrible.
0: See, I want to get back to the question that you asked me if I was starting up a new restaurant, which one I would hire. And, and I'll tell you what, my feeling is I'd hire the more expensive workers I would hire the more experienced workers because as a new restaurateur, I wouldn't know what the hell it. I was doing as so many re- agree as so many do because it's it's a really you know people get into that industry often thinking oh it's like throwing a perpetual dinner party this will be fun people love restaurants and and they want to run one themselves but they have no idea what they're doing I'd want to hire the experienced people so that I wouldn't screw up They'd be there to, to 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 save
1: me. We can take it another another step, ready? If if I came to you and said, I've got a great investment for you, it's gonna take a million dollars in three years. There's a greater than 70% chance it's gonna be worthless and you're gonna to have to pay <laughs> a couple thousand, a couple grand a month. Something you'd want to do? <laughs> no. Right. That's <laughs> the <laughs> restaurant business. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, when when plus 70% fail in three years, that's the restaurant business. And it doesn't work. I think everyone needs to be big adults here and say it's never worked. And we have to change the way we do things as an industry. And I think it it starts with labor because that's the most important part. Without labor, you can't run a business. Mm -hmm. I think it starts with the real estate transaction of restaurants at least space. You know, we, we we lease ground floors and luxury apartment buildings in Arlington and Bethesda. And when we got our lease, the space had nothing in it. It was concrete floor, concrete walls, no ceiling. And we're paying rent. And I turned to the, the landlord, I said, you know, you're getting a pretty penny for those apartments upstairs. Would you still get that pretty penny if they had to put in their own bathroom, their own kitchen, their own ceiling, their own closets, <laughs> their own floor, their own to- bathrooms? Well, no, of course not. And why do you expect it from me? And I think restaurant tours have to get smarter and start saying, no, if you want a restaurant to come into your building, you need to build the infrastructure to do it because it doesn't, the investment in a restaurant is ridiculously expensive. Right. Restaurant tours aren't construction people, they're food people. And the whole model has to change. It just has to stop and has to change. And we need to rethink the whole retail leasing model in this country.
0: Let me ask you something. Um, We keep hearing this fear that, you know, if you raise the minimum wage, raise wages, uh, you know, we're going to get inflation and everything will cost more and it'll just turn out and, it, you know, just a wash in the end, how much more expensive are your menu prices than they would be uh, where you paying as little as you could in wages? And uh, if they are any higher, do you get any pushback from your customers?
1: So there's multiple answers for that. The first answer, which is going to be shocking, Hourly wages in a restaurant can't be any more than 15% of your sales, of your profit and loss statement. It's only 15%, which means there's 85 85 other percent of things that affect your business when you get the charge for your item. Even if it goes to 16% or 18%, it's not enough to move the needle on what you need to charge. That's the honest truth. So when you hear restaurants or people say, I can't pay people more money, I have to raise my price. I then say, you don't have a labor problem. You have a sales problem. <laughs> if you're not generating enough sales to pay people living wages, it's okay. Just get comfortable in the fact that your business isn't working. It may not work. Go in a different line of work because not a, you know the majority of restaurants fail anyway, and they fail for this reason. But don't keep going along with the pain, thinking it's going to get better. It never. It rarely does. And if you can't if you can't afford to make that fifteen percent work. You have a sales problem, not a labor problem.
0: So, if they come back to you and say, "No, I I, I want to stay in this line of work. I love it. Please, Mark, tell me what to do."
1: I'm going to say, you know, you say so. We'll just make it up. Say, so, you know, you, you say your pizzas are great. They're the best pizzas in the city. You know what? Is anyone going to get mad at you for charging a dollar more? If they're the best, well, no. Charge a dollar more, and, and and you're fine. You know, I will tell you, during COVID. There were a lot of restaurateurs that were out there saying, oh my gosh, don't use the delivery apps. Don't use the Uber Eats, the DoorDash, the Postmates. They are taking all the profit away from restaurants. Call the restaurant directly. Do remember, you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that again was false advertising too, because those apps saved restaurants because they kept volume moving. And when they kept volume moving, you keep all your employees, you keep your suppliers happy. You keep things working. You keep the quality higher. Even during a pandemic, you're good because you keep everybody. Yeah. And by the way, you can also adjust your prices on those apps to include their fees, which many do. There was that famous Grubhub example online where they posted a receipt showing they did $1,200 in monthly sales and they made $175. I've been on record and I've actually commented on it. If you look at that receipt, they were paying $600 in marketing fees to Grubhub to be listed like one of the first restaurants when you log on. And they also had about $400 of credits to customers because their food was wrong. So I would say to that restaurant stop the marketing. It's not working. She can't pay 50% and get your food right. And all of a sudden now you're making $1,000 on 1200 in sales. That's really good. Right. But everyone, you know, going into pandemics, people going into bad business cycles, people look for reasons to blame others for their demise. And I'm like, you know, we're all grownups. If your business isn't working, it's not working. The government's your partner. If you shut a business down, they help you write off a bunch of deductions. Move on to something that you're more successful at. I've had restaurants that fail. And it's no fun. It's no fun. You take it personally. But you get through it and you move on. And I think we just need to, some people need to just swallow that medicine and say it just doesn't work for them.
0: So you've... Uh, Run your restaurants in the pre-pandemic era. You got through the during the pandemic. It's now post-pandemic. From all the changes you've seen, what do you think the future is for the restaurant industry and for restaurant workers?
1: Well, I think the restaurant business has changed forever in a few ways. One is, in a restaurant like mine, which is a steak restaurant, it used to be when, when you would bring home food from a steak restaurant, you'd bring home a doggy bag. They would take your food off the table, put it in a little container, you would take it home, put it in your refrigerator, and you know, eat it as leftovers the next day or give it to the dog. The way food leaves a restaurant now, it has to be ready to eat. So to go food is no longer take home food at the end of a meal, it's got to be a meal that's ready to eat, it's got to present right, it's got to look right, it's got to be cooked right, and it's got to taste right. So everything that goes into that, you need to think through. So for example, fresh made pasta does not travel well. It gets sticky and gummy. So Italian restaurants need to rethink that. Seafood does not travel well. You need to rethink that. You may have a different to-go menu or delivery menu than you do as a dine-in-on-premise menu. Pasta, seafood, steak needs, you know, people want steak cooked a certain temperature, don't order a delivery because it's never going to get to you, right? Because it still cooks in the container when it comes. Um, French fries notoriously don't travel well. The best things that travel well are the ones that have been doing it for generations, pizza, and Chinese food. Still travel amazingly well. Those guys mastered it before anyone else. But I do think restaurants are going to have two different menus, one for to-go delivery and one for dine-in because not everything moves. And I think some people learn those hard lessons when they didn't have menus that they could translate for the apps. So nobody was buying.
0: So so I'm hearing from you that takeout is going to continue to be this big part of sales at restaurants in the future.
1: I I think it's almost like Christmas when you, when people realize they can feed a family of four or six, when the family doesn't agree on something, they get two different cuisines delivered and everyone's happy. That's changed the restaurant business. So the, these delivery part, these apps um, online ordering are going to be a very large part of the future restaurants. And there's also, you know, there's ghost kitchens out there now where there are restaurants setting up delivery only, Kitchens with no retail, with no sit-down restaurant in them at all, and you can see them. It's a little weird, like when you go look on DoorDash for your area, you'll see names of restaurants that you never heard of, because so you're usually operating out of the basement or operating out of someone else's kitchen. You'll see that too for a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's going to last forever, because I think people still want to feel good about or have a have a, what I call a retail relationship. But those are things that have changed now for restaurant workers. I think the tide has changed. I think. They now have leverage, and the good skilled workers have a ton of leverage. And I think it's good. It's about time. They need to be treated better, paid better. Now, I do need to caveat this the chain restaurants, the national chain restaurants, the Dardens, the, the Brinker Internationals, the McDonald's, they do a terrific job with bringing in staff in, training them and staff typically leaves them better than when they got their skills and training and career advancement. I'm talking about independent restaurants. The independent restaurants is where the awakening has to happen, because the chain guys have already figured it out. And that's going to be the, the real adjustment.
0: And you think that the, the higher expectations that workers have, that's going to continue into the future?
1: I hope so. I know that sounds weird coming from a business owner, but I really hope so.
0: (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't sound weird at all. Why would you want to work? Why why would you want to employ people who are struggling to get by? Why would you want to be around unhappy, pissed off people?
1: (laughs) I want to employ people. Well, short, I mean, short of addiction, you know, short of whether it's alcohol or drug or something else, and you know, restaurant staff, you know, a fair amount of restaurant staff go through that struggle, but they should have those who want to live a normal, fruitful, beneficial life should have enough money to be able to do that and not sweat it every time for payday. They're going to find it one way or the other because they need to make the money. They're going to give away free liquor across your bar to get the bigger tips. Just treat everybody with respect, pay them fairly, and you're going to run a more profitable business with more loyal employees. You're not going to have an HR problem. You're not going to have a staffing problem. Long-term, it takes a lot of the risk out of this business, which is a high-risk business. If, I can, if you came to me and said, Mark, I can take... 50% of the risk out of your business, would I do it? Absolutely. Does paying hourly labor, 10, 15% more take that risk out of my business? I think so.
0: You know what, it seems like a no brainer. And in fact, it's not, it's not a new idea. I know there was a study by Cornell, uh, the, the School of Hospitality, I think it was from 2015, showing that uh, higher minimum wage reduced turnover and uh, dramatically increased productivity. And actually, recommending that the restaurant industry should be fighting for a higher minimum wage, uh, just you know, level the playing field at a higher, higher rate, and the restaurants would do better.
1: I, I agree with you. The restaurant lobby has a has a real problem. They have great intentions, and the problem is they've got eight thousand different bosses telling them which way to go. For example, ten years ago, there was a universal mandate to have a smoking ban inside restaurants. Remember this
0: Oh They're yeah, smoking
1: inside bars or restaurants and the national restaurant association knew from data that was coming out of Chicago and New York where there was a ban, the restaurants made more money because people sat at the bars and ordered 50, 60, $70 meals and had a drink instead of ordering the 10 or $12 drink. The problem was the constituency said, we don't want government in our business. And they said, we don't want government telling us what to do. We don't want government control. And they fought against the smoking ban. They lost, but they fought against it because they, they had to. And they probably knew, knew they were on the wrong side of right doing that. The next time that came down was a few years ago, where there was a, a conversation of universal minimum wage. And they fought that. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world are you fighting this? This could be the best thing to happen to the industry. Now we have people that want, want to work in the industry. We're paying them wages that want, they want to stay in the industry. This is the answer. And they, again, they fought it because they didn't want government involved. Then President Biden standing up at a town hall meeting about a month ago, and a restaurateur stands up and said, hey, I've got a labor problem. I can't hire people. What are you going to do for me?
0: I remember that.
1: You can't have it both ways. As an industry, you can't tell the government to stay out of your business. Then you can't say, I want you in my business to help me. right? And 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 by the way, the government gave the restaurant business the biggest bailout ever in and PPP money. In a capitalist society, it's unheard of. They should be saying thank you and take that money and pay your employees more. But I just have a hard time reconciling you know, that question to the president saying, what are you going to do for me versus anti-government control and engagement up to this point?
0: What do you think this all means for the broader economy? The, the lessons learned in, well, first of all, is the restaurant industry learning this lesson and uh are these lessons uh, applicable to the broader economy
1: i don't know i think it's too early i really hope so i really hope that people join me in my thinking in just being big adults saying the restaurant business doesn't work let's fix it let's start building on the strength of labor because without labor we can't, without skilled labor we can't get it done and there's always gig jobs you know there's college kids and there's always, you know, new immigrants to the country. That's great, but give them opportunity. So they have the option to decide whether they want to be in management or have their own restaurant or not. Let them decide. Don't just treat them as a commodity and you're going to pay the lowest amount of money for a dishwasher. They're all people, they have families to support and they're hard workers. And don't I, I hate when I see quotes and hearing people say restaurant employees are lazy, they don't want to work. These are the hardest. Working people on the planet. Short of guys laying asphalt in Florida, these are these are the hardest working people on the planet, and no one's going to outwork them. Go spend ten minutes in a busy kitchen on a Saturday night, and that bothers me too. It's so hard and it's so dangerous. They deserve better.
0: Fifteen percent of your costs, hundred percent of your success. The
1: people who work for you. Well said. Well said. (laughs)
0: So I got one final question for you, and I'm asking you this: You are a, you're a, an entrepreneur in an industry with like a 50 to 70 percent failure rate. That is incredibly difficult, not just for folks in the back of the house, but everybody involved. So why do you do this work?
1: I get great, well, I get great joy and satisfaction out of it, but that's not enough. I mean, we make money at it. Um, <laughs> I've got great business partners. We make. A nice living at it. We support our families through it. Are there other ways to make the same or better money with less stress? Yeah, probably. But I have a passion for it. Um, I love creating brands that the public identifies with and families can grow up around. I also like taking human beings and and helping them grow and expand, both personally and professionally. I can't do that any other business other than the restaurant business with so many people at one time. There's no bureaucracy. I'm directly in touch. And directly in tune with all of my staff. When they have health problems, we're there for them. When they have financial problems, we are there for them. When their families have problems, we are there for them. When they, when we want to spot, they ask to be sponsored for citizenship, we are there for them. And that's awfully rewarding work.
0: Well, thanks for talking with us, and and keep up on this issue, please. We need we need more uh, people in the restaurant industry speaking truth to power. I promise. In my conversation with Mark, I mentioned a 2015 study from Cornell University, one of the leading restaurant management schools, that suggested that raising the minimum wage would actually be good for restaurants due to its impact on reducing turnover and increasing productivity of workers. Well, a new study from Cornell that just came out last week suggests that raising wages is good for restaurant customers, too. Exploiting a natural experiment in California between two neighboring counties, one of which raised the minimum wage and one didn't, the researchers found that customers perceived a much higher quality of service in the restaurants with the higher wage, particularly in terms of the perceived courtesy and friendliness of workers. So not only do restaurant owners and workers do better when the wages are higher, but customers do better too. Who knew?